Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. All right, guys. So listen, we're going to continue to seek God this year. And we've kicked off this year with a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus' sermon that he shares with his disciples. Now, usually when you think Sermon on the Mount, you think thousands of people. Yes, but this sermon was for his disciples. He just had a, a, a couple thousand or a few thousand people listening to him. And so this sermon really is not about how to come into the kingdom, how to, how to get to know Jesus. That's not what the sermon is about. This sermon for us and our day and our time is once you become a follower of Jesus, once you, are, once you step from the world's kingdom into the kingdom of light, how are we to live our lives? Really, this is about culture. You know, every family has a culture. I'm sure you know that as you visit some people's homes, there's a culture about the, the family. Some people value um, maybe family time. Some people value dinner time. Some people value giving and generosity. Some people value different things that, that they hold at a higher priority. And there's a culture of a home. You feel the same thing when you go to another nation. You step off the plane at another nation and, and you sense that there's some, some culture there that they have prioritized certain things. Whether it's Japan, it's, it's work ethic. It's England, it's relationships. And as you go to these different countries, you, you, or you sense, hey, there's, there's something different about the culture than my culture. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus establishing his culture for us as believers, for his kingdom. What does the culture of the kingdom of God look like in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in your relationships? What is it? Because the truth is this, you have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought and transferred into the kingdom of light. So how should that look different to us or in us? And that's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching what we know is the Sermon on the Mount, and we've called the Sermon on the Mount. And, but today we're going to look at the Beatitudes. And as you get through some of this, you, you notice, wow, these, this is really challenging. This is really difficult. And some of these things we're going to realize that maybe 2020 exposed that we had one foot in the world's culture and one foot in the kingdom's culture. Where we kind of, we, we have straddled the, the cultures, but Jesus calls us and transfers us into his kingdom, into his culture. And so as we lean into it, we're going to receive from his words. Everybody say amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. But before we get to Matthew chapter 5, before we see Jesus on the hillside, which it's called Sermon on the Mount. It's not really a mountain. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a hill. So Sermon on the Hill is what we'll call it. But Sermon on the Hill. Before we get up there, before we listen to his words in Matthew 5, I want you to understand what has led Jesus up to this point. Why is it that Jesus can stand and give kingdom culture? Why is it that he can tell his disciples and tell you and me today, this is how I want you to live your life. This is what it means to be a part of this family. There are things in my family where if, if something doesn't align with our culture, I address it. I'll say, hey, listen, that's not what we do here in our family. We're not going to have that happen. I'm sure some of you parents have said that. Listen, if you want to do that at Johnny's house, that's fine. But you're not doing that here. Or if Johnny wants to do that at Johnny's house, but you're not allowed to do it at Johnny's house, nor are you allowed to do it in my house. 
It's, it's a culture thing. It's standards. It's how we, how we respond to one another. Listen, if, if Johnny says, when mom says, John, and mom calls Johnny's name, he goes, yeah. Hey, uh-uh, I don't want to hear yeah in my house. I want to hear yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Why? It's our culture. It's important. It's values. And that's what Jesus is establishing. But before he establishes it, what did he set into place? What was Jesus doing? What, what had Jesus been saying? Well, we know he was, at 30, he was baptized. And so he comes up out of the water. And when he comes up, his father speaks to him from heaven. He said, this is my son in whom I'm, well, please do what he says. And so what the father God was affirming is this is the Messiah. This is the one. This is, this is the king. And part of that is affirming what was said in Psalm chapter 2. When, when the promise of this king would come, this is what Psalm 2 says, that God would give the nations of the world to his or of his inheritance. The nations of the world would be his inheritance. Well, this aligns with kingship. When Jesus came, it says that all the nations, every tongue will bow, every knee will bow. From the nations, every tribe will bow as his inheritance. Well, this is speaking of Jesus' kingship. It's important you, have, you understand, leading up to God, to Jesus setting his kingdom culture, he has been established as the king. And so actually in the beginning of Matthew, as we looked at in, during our Christmas series, we saw the genealogy of Jesus. Well, right out of the gate, Matthew connects Jesus with the line of David, which says he is the king. As you get to the end of Matthew, you find that Jesus is making some statements about his kingship. When he goes to the disciples, he said this, all authority has been given to me by God and I give all that authority to you, therefore go and make disciples. The only one who can give authority is the one who carries it. And that is the one who sits in the seat of king. It's the king who declares, and that's what the king is doing. So it's very important we understand that this whole idea that Jesus is the king. Earlier in Matthew chapter 4, the message of the kingdom Jesus says the kingdom has come, so he declares the presence of the kingdom. Then he de demonstrates the power of the kingdom. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He opens blind eyes. When the demoniac is filled with demons, he speaks authority and casts out the demon. How can someone do that? Because you're the king. That's how. And so the king ruled his kingdom. And when Jesus came, the kingdom came. So therefore, the kingdom of Jesus has been established. And as we continue to go through here, Jesus is, is healing. Now, it's so important for us to understand when Jesus heals, when you see these, these things happening, he's actually, I want you to catch this for a moment, he is actually, we're seeing a small glimpse of what his final and full kingdom will be when he returns. Small glimpses. So when Jesus came, not, not everyone was healed. The whole world wasn't healed. When Jesus came, not everyone was delivered. There were still demons that went from this dude and went into pigs. The pigs ran off the hill. Well, why didn't he just cast the, the demons into the, the pit? Why didn't he cast them into the abyss? Because it wasn't time yet. So Jesus came to establish first his kingdom. And then he begins to minister from that kingdom. Now, I do want to point your eyes to his second coming for a moment because as we suffer with, with the things we have to suffer with, our bodies, 
So many times we, we can get frustrated with Jesus because, Jesus, why didn't you heal me? Jesus, why didn't you, you set me free? Jesus, why, you know, I, I, why, how come I have high blood pressure? What is the problem? And, well, maybe, Jason, you should stop screaming. But anyway, we just keep going, right? But we, we trust God for healing. We believe God for healing. We know that God still heals today. But we also know he doesn't always heal. Why? It's something for us to understand. We still believe him and he honors your faith. But every one of us, every one of us is not going to escape the curse of sin on our bodies. Every one of us. You're like, thanks a lot, Jason. I could have, you could have withheld that one for, for a moment. But it's true. But I will say this. Every one of us who has our faith in Jesus Christ, one day, the return of Christ, he's going to give us a new body. And that new body is going to look like you, but man, it's going to look a lot better than you. It's going to be fully, it will not be corrupted or touched by the curse of sin. And the curse of sin on the, on the earth, on our bodies will be eradicated and we'll be free. And that will be the full and final expression of the kingdom of God in our lives. God is faithful and he will do it. Amen. So that's coming. But Jesus here is demonstrating glimpses of what is to come. So here Jesus, he has the, the authority to heal. The authority to declare his kingdom is here. He has the authority also when he walks down to the, to the Sea of Galilee. You remember this? He walks down and he sees these, these young bucks out there fishing with their dad and their, and their daddy's uh, fishing business. And he says, hey, you come and follow me. And what do they do? They dropped everything and followed him. How can he do that? Because he's king. So when the king says, come follow me, you say, yes, sir. When the king says, jump, you say, how high? That's what you do. And so he's established, he's the king. And so as he is established, he is the king, we come to the Sermon on the Mount, where then he begins to give the culture of his kingdom. He begins to give the values and the principles of what it means to be in his kingdom. And it's deeply challenging but it's really what we all want. The things that we're about to read is really what we want in our lives. It's really what we want in our families. It's really what we want in our marriages. It's really what we want as we look at the world around us. We wanna see people the way God sees them. It's really the life we all want. But Jesus invites us into his kingdom. And so in his kingdom, he gets down in the nooks of crannies in all of our lives. What he teaches today is it's, it's going it's to go deep in you. It's going to challenge you, but then it's also going to lift you, and you're going to feel God's strength in you and through you today. So Jesus is walking with his disciples in Matthew 5. We come to the place after he's established, he is king, and he's, he carries the kingdom. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them teaching the disciples and teaching us. And so what he begins to do is unwind the culture of where they were at. And when Jesus, that's what Jesus does in this sermon. He unwinds the culture that we came from. The culture of, of the world that we live in. Remember, Scripture says we are in the world's culture, but we are not what? Of that culture. And so Jesus is unwinding it. I think one of the, the real tragedies in the evangelical church 
over the last 15, 20 years is that we have said, you know what, we, you know what? we, we don't want to look too different than the world. So what we're going to do is, you know what, that principle in the kingdom doesn't matter. So we'll just kind of go into there. Oh, and, and we'll take our cues from what the world says we should do, what the world says is righteous, what the world says is justice, and we'll follow that. Because that way, we kind of look similar. Well, it's interesting. If we came from the kingdom of darkness, there is nothing more opposite than the kingdom of darkness than the kingdom of light. And the radiance of our lives should be quite different than what the world has. Amen? God's called you to be different. He's called you to, to, to live a life in a way that is different than the world, that the world says, man, my life isn't working, but what is, why, why do you have so much peace? Why do you have so much hope? Why is it that you're different? Why is it that you shine? What is different about you? And you can say, it's the kingdom culture that I'm a part of. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's unwinding it and unwinding us. So I'm going to talk about becoming the culture of the kingdom of God. Number one, this is the first principle of the, of the culture. When you see that you are spiritually bankrupt without God's grace, the culture says you were truly best blessed. God's culture says this, that seeing yourself as spiritually bankrupt allows you to be blessed by God. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These kingdom principles, again, remember, they're contrary to the world's culture. It's because the fact is that, let's just be honest, we're all independent. We're all prideful. We all think we got something to contribute to our, to our own spiritual lives. But I will say this, no one on the face of the planet, not one person, has ever found fulfillment, peace, joy, and God's blessing apart from seeing that they are totally dependent on God through Christ Jesus. No one has. Those who see themselves, and I, what I'm about to say is even going to shock some of you because your pride is going to be, no, I'm not. Listen to me. Those who see themselves as spiritual beggars before God, totally destitute of any personal righteousness before a holy God, those are the ones, Jesus says, that their citizenship is now in the kingdom of heaven because of their dependence is only and totally on him. It rubs your pride a little bit, doesn't it? That's not, that's not who I am now. You're right, you are in his kingdom. But you are still, have nothing to offer to your righteousness, to your holiness. You have nothing to contribute to the kingdom of God that would then make you special in the kingdom of God besides Jesus says you're special, therefore you are. It's only his declaration over your life and that's what he says to you. The blessing of heaven comes to you when you embrace the reality that you are spiritually bankrupt and through Christ you can only experience heaven's blessing. Remember, this is not the teaching of how to come into God's kingdom. It's the teaching of once you're in the kingdom, what should our heart and our attitude be towards God? Several years ago, we lived in England and uh, my family and I were on the West Coast visiting a pastor. His name is Pastor Kelton. Black, such a great British name, Kelton Black. Anyway, we were there and he took us on a, a drive on the west um, coast and through this gorge. And the gorge was, was called um, Burrington Combe. 
And as you're driving through, there's like walls on each side of this, of stone and, and the, the different stone was, was protruding out. As you went by, there was a plaque. So we stopped to look at this plaque and it was a plaque that was um, remembering a song that was written in 1762. And there was a, a preacher who was rolling through there on his wagon and a storm kicked up and it was bad because you're in a gorge and so all of the, the water and flooding is kind of heading right there. And he climbs up into this cleft of the rock. And in that cleft, he begins to write a song in his mind, a hymn. And the song's called Rock of Ages. And the opening line of Rock, rock of Ages is this, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. So here he is, he's in the cleft Rock of ages, you're a cleft for me. Let me hide myself in the speaking of God. But the third verse, uh, verse I want you to hear, it says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I will die. Nothing we have can save us. It is only by God's grace and our declaration of how much we need him. Jesus came for the poor in spirit. That's why Philippians says, because Jesus became poor for our sake, dying on a cross, emptying himself for our sake, but now God, now listen, has exalted him and everyone else who has bowed before him to a higher place with him. That is what Jesus is saying. The next kingdom culture is number two. When you repent for your sins, you will always experience the comfort and forgiveness of God. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If we could go to that next slide, please. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is what Jesus is saying to be a part of the kingdom culture. When we mourn, and this whole morning was about sin. It's about the things in our life we see that we don't like. Anybody have things in your life you wish weren't there and you don't like? And you're wrestling with them and you're struggling through them? Galatians 5 tells us that there was, we were at, we're wrestling. There's a war between our flesh and our spirit. Our flesh and our spirit. They were wrestling with it. And every once in a while, the flesh gets the best of us. And we stumble and we fall. Because we're the kingdom culture, what we recognize right away is that I just did something or acted a certain way or had a thought that does not belong in the culture that I'm a part of. It does not belong in the family culture that I'm a part of. And in that moment, we become gripped and grieved by the Holy Spirit. We mourn. We see it for the filth of what it is, and we repent. And when we do that, we will be comforted as children of God in his kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus comes, and he picks us up, and he keep, says, keep running the race. Blessed are those who actually come to grips that their sin is worth mourning over. Their sin is filthy, and they cry out to God and say, Lord, forgive me, because they can't forgive themselves. Those people of humility, those are the ones who will be comforted. That's what Jesus is saying. All of us are on a journey to be conformed to the image of Christ. It is a process. So these are the realities that for us as followers of Jesus in our life, that we will be striving for. 
for the rest of our life until sin is no more, until sin is conquered, until Jesus takes the devil by, his, by the back of his neck and throws him in the abyss and there will be no more. But until then, we are conforming into the image of Christ because we are in a world that's trying to infiltrate their culture on us. But Jesus says, I have called you to be different. Come out from among them and be separate and holy. That's what God calls us to. But it is also the kingdom culture that reminds us that the standard that we fall short at is actually the standard that Jesus achieved for us, and in him, we then, in God's eyes, have reached that standard. But in our, in our kingdom culture, as we fall, as we stumble, we mourn, we call out to him, and he is faithful to meet us every time. The next kingdom culture from Jesus is number three, when your heart's desire towards God is not my will, but your will be done, God will prosper you. I tell you what, if you want to experience the blessing of God, then pray this in every aspect of your life. Lord, I'm, I'm pursuing this job, but God, I, your will, not mine, be done. God, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in this conflict with my spouse, and Lord, not your will, examine me. Not your will, but yours be done. It's very important we understand. A lot of people, they, they confuse this idea. You know what, listen, but God, because I love him, he puts his desires in my heart and that's what God wants. Yes, but you have to be discerning because what did Jesus pray in the garden? Lord, not my will, but yours be done. How many know this? If Jesus in his, in his humanity must submit himself to the Father we also must submit ourselves to the Father. That's the kingdom culture. Submission to the Father. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Psalm 37, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. There is a humility, a meekness, that as you submit yourself to the Lord, he prospers you. As you submit your attitude to the Lord, he prospers you. Anybody had a bad attitude in 2020? <laughs> As you say, Lord, I don't, this, this is not in your kingdom right here. I submit. He will prosper you. Not my will, but yours be done. He will prosper you. He's true to his word. It's so important for us to understand that a meek woman or man is the one who trusts God in difficult circumstances. Lord, not my will, but yours. When dealing with difficult people, Lord, not your will, not my will, but yours. It's not one who holds himself as better than others. He'd look down on people and get after them and judge them. Lord, not my will, but yours. Let me serve them. Let me be you to them. Let me be your voice to them. Number four, kingdom culture is when your appetite for God is greater than anything else, you will experience total, absolute satisfaction. Jesus said this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you find yourself hungering for righteousness? 
I've been thirsty for righteousness. Something you need to understand today, the grace of God and when you're a part of his culture, you can't make yourself more hungry. You can't make yourself more thirsty. Only the grace of God can touch your heart from a supernatural touch on your life and make you say, Lord, I want more of you. Lord, I want to live a life that honors you. And I recognize I'm not, I'm not thirsting for what I know I want to be thirsting for. And in God's grace and in his kingdom and in his culture, he touches your life and helps you then turn your eyes to him to be more hungry and more thirsty for him. Our greatest need to understand what Jesus is saying, our greatest need can only be met by God through his son, Jesus Christ. We won't chase satisfaction in other places. If we find it and tasting and see that he is good. Drinking from the cup or the well that will never run dry. But in our moments of we come to grips with our own humanity, our own weakness, our own frailty, our own junk we have to deal with in our own lives and baggage we carry. Lord, I know I need to hunger and thirst for you. Can you touch my heart and help me hunger and thirst for you? Number five, kingdom culture, when you extend mercy, you can trust that God will graciously help you. Jesus said this, blessed, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Again, these promises of God, as you step out and submit or humble, he meets you every time. Showing mercy, it's a mark of a person who's in the kingdom culture. It's mercy, it's, it, it flows through you. It's a responsibility for those who are in the kingdom. Mercy is about restoring someone's dignity. Mercy is offering hope and kindness to someone who has been broken by sin. And you respond and give them mercy. You respond and say, listen, I know you're hurting, but, but come up here. It's responding to someone who might be in the kingdom of God and has stumbled and fallen. Mercy says, listen, this is better. you're better than this. Mercy isn't saying, it's okay, you can keep sinning. That's not mercy. Mercy says, you're better than this. Mercy says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to let you stay here. Mercy says, I know you're hurting. Mercy says, I know that you, you got baggage from mom and dad and, and pain and betrayal. But listen, I'm not going to, this isn't who you are. You are called to be part of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to show kindness. I'm going to be, I'm going to be soft and gentle with you. Why? Because when you understand mercy, when you understand that you're poor in spirit, when you mourn over the things that you, that you fall to and God comforts you. When you come to God out of humility, you understand his mercy. And the person who is merciful is the person who understands and has experienced mercy. And you're able to do that. This is a, it's a, it's a cultural thing of the kingdom of God. For some reason, many believers think that the culture of the kingdom is judgment and anger and frustration and making people feel stupid and bad. No, that's not. That's not the kingdom culture. That's the jerk culture. And we don't do that. That's not who we are. I remember in Bible college where you, you got a lot of young folks who are um, a little naive and they're a little after some things. And I was one of them as well. In many ways, I still am, but I'm, I'm, the Lord's conforming me. So I'm on my way. But I remember those who were I, I, like, man, why are you so cranky? Why are you so mean? Well, I'm prophetic. No, you're pathetic. What are you doing? That's what God's, God's called me to be a prophet. Okay, okay, but 
you, you, you understand Jesus was the prophet. You understand Jesus was the prophet. So Jesus calls you to be like him, not like this prophet, but like him as the prophet, which Jesus was kind and gentle and meek and loving. Meekness is a mark. And people think, no, people need, people need to know they're wrong. You're right, but mercy says it in a way that's received. Because remember, James 2.13 says that mercy triumphs over judgment. So it means you will get so much more done for the kingdom of God through mercy than you will through judgment. Amen? That's the kingdom culture. Imagine mercy being unleashed in your home. Imagine mercy being unleashed when your teenagers are, get, kind of get off the rail. And again, this doesn't mean it's okay, you can go off the rail. No, it means you can grab them by the back of their neck and pull them over and say, oh, I'm going to show mercy on you and not kill you right now, actually. <laughs> but I love you, and you're better than this. You're better than this. You call them to another standard. Don't tell them how filthy they are, where they are. You call them, no, you're better than this because you're marked by the king. And I'm going to show mercy on you. And you're marked by, by the Father. You're marked. I love you. I, I, listen, I, there's, there's the old joke that says, listen, I brought you into this world and I can take you out, but I'm not going to. It's, but I'm going to show mercy. And I'm going to be kind to you. doesn't mean there aren't consequences. It means you're merciful as you carry out those consequences as you discipline. That is Jesus. That's the nature of Jesus. Imagine mercy between couples. Imagine mercy that says, listen, yeah, how they said that frustrated me, but I don't need to tell them how frustrated I am. I'm going to show mercy. I'm just going to show mercy. That's the culture of the kingdom of God, and our world needs a lot of it. Mercy. Mercy, love, truth. Number six, kingdom culture is when you allow God to direct your heart, he will lead you to himself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus is calling those, us, who are in his kingdom. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. To live out their lives from the inside out. This is the actions and the attitudes of our lives flow from inside of us. They flow from inside of us. Kingdom culture is allowing Jesus to transform you inside out, not outside in. We want, we, want, we want to change behavior before we change our hearts. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 15. He said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. What things? The things in the heart. For out of the heart, evil Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, and slander. The heart, the heart is the soil for the actions of your life. It's the soil. Out of, out of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know what's in your heart? Take a couple of days, listen to your words. And you'll be able to tell, man, Critical, judgmental, impatient, not kind, not joyful, not peaceful. 
Where's that coming from? Your heart. Kingdom culture says, hang on, Jesus, transform my heart. Change me. Lord, I want to read your word every day. I want it to cleanse me. I want it to transform my mind. I want it to, to, to give me a new heart so then my, the, the outside of my life will demonstrate who you really are. The Lord wants you to see him more and more. The Lord wants to show you part of himself more and more. And those who are humbled by his care, those who seek him, those who, who lean into him, those, those who are pure in heart, they will see God. Number seven, when you pursue peace with others, you are declaring which kingdom you actually belong to. Remember, we, we have two kingdoms present. We have the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. When you pursue peace with others, you're declaring which kingdom you belong to. So Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. It's important we understand there's a difference actually between peacekeepers and peacemakers. There's a difference. Peacemakers pursue peace. Peacemakers, they don't entertain gossip. They don't entertain dissension. They don't run over in their head the playlist of what they don't like about an individual. They don't look for opportunity to tell someone off. Peacemakers look for opportunities to make peace. Peacemakers bring, bring things to the table of reconciliation. They humbly come, I'm so sorry. I know there's some strife here. I, I'm, a, I'm coming to you. I, I'm so sorry. Now, peacekeepers can respond and receive that peace and keep it. But if you're a part of the kingdom of God, you're a peacemaker. In other words, you make it happen. You pursue it. You go after it. As it says in Matthew, if you come to worship and you realize that, there's, that you're at odds with someone, that you leave worship and you go make peace, you're a peacemaker. It looks like something. Remember, Jesus came and he made peace with us. We didn't make peace with him. He made peace with us. Kingdom culture is peacemaker. Imagine families that everyone's like, I'm a, I'm a peacemaker, so I got to make some peace. And I've got to come down, I'm sorry. I've got to come down and humble myself out of meekness, out of understanding. Listen, I am poor in spirit and I, I have nothing to offer besides my own brokenness. So please, I'm going to make peace. And let me encourage you, when you're at odds with someone, ask the question, what am I bringing to the table of peace? What am I bringing to the table of reconciliation? If it's, well, I'm waiting on them to bring something, then you're not a peacemaker. What are you bringing? Both parties are to bring something to the table of reconciliation. Do you know why? Because in kingdom culture, both parties understand I am poor in spirit. And it's only by the grace of God that he accepts me. And I'm a work in progress. And I'm being conformed to the image of Christ, but I have not reached Christ's status, that's for sure. Peacemakers both bring something to the table to reconcile. That's the kingdom. Number eight, when you're persecuted for righteousness, consider yourself in good company. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed 
Are you, when people insult you, oh great, thank you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I want just to stop for a moment. People insult, falsely say things of evil against you because of him, not because of you. Kingdom culture receive insults and evil set against them because of Jesus, not because of our own foolishness. A lot of times people kind of justify this and say, see, they're just insulting me because, because of Jesus. No, they're insulting you because you are being insulting. Then he goes on to say, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The kingdom culture is aware that they're storing up in heaven. The kingdom culture gives because they're storing up in heaven. The kingdom culture is because they're storing up in heaven. The kingdom culture has an eternal mindset. And when you live a life that reflects Jesus, I'll tell you this, you are inviting the, the world to persecute you. You are. You are inviting the world to persecute you. When you read the life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the tenderness of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the last thing you ever thought would have happened if they would have nailed him to a cross and persecute him. What did he do to anybody except for love them, give them hope, show kindness, offer forgiveness, and they persecuted him. Many times as Christians, we, we don't make the connection to what our Savior or what happened to our Savior to what will happen to us. Listen, if you are kingdom culture, you will be persecuted for his name's sake. Everything's about him anyway. So if I'm going to get persecuted, I want it to be for Jesus. If our church is going to face persecution, I want it to be because we stood up for righteousness. If something's going to happen in my life that the world, the kingdom of darkness comes against me, I want it to be because I stood for the kingdom of light. It's going to happen. Peter said this to believers, to a church, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange was happening to you. Like, what are you, why are you acting like this? Of course you're going to be persecuted. You're part of the kingdom of light. The kingdom of Jesus. These are very challenging marks for us. When you read them, a lot of times you feel a little overwhelming because I think this passage, this teaching is one of the most well-known, but it's also one of the most misunderstood. Because when you, when you read through this passage, you you think, man, well, I better try harder. I better try harder. I better work harder. I better jump higher. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus makes it very clear. This new life that we are a part of is not something we can work out. It is something that he will work in us. It is by his grace. That's what this life is about. Acknowledging, Lord, can you work in my life, it is by the supernatural working of God's grace, touching your heart, 
restoring you, healing you, removing the guilt of your sin, giving you peace in your, in your soul that's so just agitated and frustrated and anxious and you take it out on other people and, and the kingdom culture says, Jesus, I am poor in spirit. Can you touch me? And he does. It is in these moments that we begin to grow and become more like Jesus. This is a picture that we've just looked at of what we're becoming like. What we're being shaped into. Have we arrived? No. But the kingdom culture, trust in the grace of God that touched their lives and to respond to the teaching of Jesus and to say, Lord, I want that. I can't get it on my own. Will you do supernatural work in my life? Will you touch me? And Jesus says, when you do that, he responds, and you will be blessed, you will be comforted, you will be strengthened, you will be shown mercy, and in response, you will show mercy. And as you stand up for righteousness, you will face persecution. You will face, it's a promise, you will. But let's start standing. Let's start living the blessed life that invites persecution. But as they persecute, we pray for our enemies. As they come after us, we, we show them love and grace and kindness. That is not of this world. That is of his world. And his world, the kingdom culture, is what we're part of. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for your work in all of our lives. Thank you for the challenge that goes deeply to all of us. And so, Lord, we surrender our lives. We commit our lives to you wholeheartedly. We acknowledge today, Lord, that these are not things that we can accomplish on our own. But the whole purpose of, your, of the gospel is that through you, through you, you can touch our lives. You can supernaturally change us and transform us. And we can live the life we've always wanted. So today, God, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our minds to you. We surrender our families to you. May we demonstrate your culture through how we speak, how we think, how we act, how we love, the righteousness we would stand for by our faith to believe that you are the king and all things are possible while trusting not my will, but yours be done. Lead us and guide us this coming year. God, I know there are folks here today who really need a touch from you. They need to be strengthened by you. They need to be lifted by you. So in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch every heart that needs you. Minister to every person that is calling out for you in their spirits now. Heal their brokenness. Heal their pain. Give them hope for the future. Remind them that they are a part of your kingdom and that you're calling all of us up higher while giving us the grace to walk that journey. 
We give you our lives today. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed. If you're here today and you say, I don't know Jesus. And if I died, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. If you want to give your life to Jesus, nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand right where you are. Just lift it up. Just lift it up as an act of faith. Hold it up high. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. You can put, God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you so much. Anyone else want to give your life to Jesus? Just raise it up. If your heart's beating out of your chest and you realize I do, but I want to raise my hand. Come on. Break through that. Thank you. God bless you. For those of you who raised your hand and for those who maybe did not, but you still want to give your life to Jesus, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, that you will be saved and you repent of your sins, you will be saved. We're going to lead you. I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer, actually. And we are going to pray with you. And as you pray it and believe it, you will be saved. Let's all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. Cleanse me. I give you my life today. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I believe you did it for me. Thank you for paying my penalty. Thank you for dying for me. I put my trust in you and I give you my life. And from this moment forward, thank you for making me a part of your kingdom and help me to live from the principles in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today for his faithfulness. <clears throat> if you gave your life to Jesus today, right in front of you is a connect card. You can just fill that out. When you leave, you can drop it in the bucket. It will help you take the next step. step. Also, if you have a prayer request, we would be honored to pray with you. You can write also what, whoever. You can write on those cards prayer requests, and we'd be honored. And we will pray for you as a staff. Let's all stand to our feet. I'll be honored if you'd let me bless you and pray over you and pray God's protection over you as you agree with this prayer. Just lift your hands to receive a posture receiving from the Lord in the name of Jesus that's above every name. God, I declare your protection over our families. I speak peace over their minds that might be in turmoil. I speak peace over relationships that might be strained. And Lord, I ask you that you would bind every work of the enemy over their life. And God, we combat every strategy of the enemy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask you that you would prosper them. You would lead them. You would guide them. You would heal, God, any area of their life that is stained from the world or from the kingdom of darkness, that you would deliver them today in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would heal marriages. You would heal families. You would heal bodies. You would protect them. Set your angels around them as they go from here to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.